Hi, good evening. Welcome to another edition of Resistance TV. Now then, with the corporate media in lockstep with the NATO war machine's proxy war in Ukraine and its subservience to the Zionist propaganda about the genocide Israel's inflicting on Gaza, there's never been a more important time for independent journalists. So I'm particularly pleased to welcome Warren Fulton onto the show tonight. Uh, Warren served in the military for six years and also worked protecting aid workers in many war-torn countries for eight years, and he's uh, gained a reputation as an independent journalist. And I was pleased to share a platform with uh, Warren at the weekend in Bristol uh, that was a, a meeting hosted by the No to NATO, No to War campaign. And uh, yeah, Warren made a, an outstanding contribution at that meeting. So we're very pleased to have you, uh, Warren. Thanks very much for joining us uh, uh, this evening. Um, tell us a little much. bit about... Yeah, good. I was just going to say, just tell us a bit about, you know, how you, because you've had a really amazing uh, history there. Uh, so tell us a bit about, you know, how you got into into journalism, first of all, if you could, and, you know, your sort of, some of your your great trophies, uh, some of the uh, things that you've, that you've broken, which, uh, you know, are pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I sort of got into it because of uh, my past and what I'd done. I made uh, very, very good contacts in not only the military, uh, but also embassy workers, because you bump into attaches, uh, you get aid workers as well. And uh, people started phoning me up a couple of years ago and saying, Warren, you won't believe what's going on, but we can't speak out about it, would you? Uh, so I thought I needed some protection. So I en enrolled myself as uh, in a course and, and became a, a journalistic member. And then I started just a little TikTok account uh, telling everything that people were saying to me. And uh, and I had what you might call fantastic sources because they were so close to all the things that were going on. Uh, and then I turned around and I said, you know, I'm really, really sorry that, uh, you, you know, your word is not getting out there. So we started getting maybe 15 or 20 people to start with, I thought I'd be talking to. And in no time, it became 20,000, and then it became 40,000, and now I think it's up to something like 72,500. Yeah. So it was very, very, very strange, but I've only been at it for two years. But the simple fact is, on the platform, we just tell the truth. The fact's what we know. We don't go with conspiracy theories, but the facts yeah. enough are alarming as they are, Chris. Yeah, no, absolutely. I just wonder what your thoughts were, Warren, about the way in which uh, the... Uh, Media uh, reporters in in war torn uh, countries um, this this uh, sort of process of being embedded like you know we saw in Iraq uh, you know the corporate media hacks were embedded with the with the U.S. military or the British military we're seeing a similar thing now with some of the reporters uh, from the corporate media embedding themselves with the Israeli occupation forces in their uh, genocide against Gaza. And uh, my sense is that that leads to, uh, to an even greater extent, a, a sort of skewed perspective, because inevitably, I suppose, when you are embedded with, with a group of, uh, of soldiers, you, you kind of form a, a bond, a relationship. And I just wonder what your thoughts were, whether that's going to then impinge on their impartiality and we know that you know where the corporate media is coming from anyway that they, they, they've got an agenda um yeah. but do you think that is a good or a bad thing embedding uh you know being embedded with, with you know with a particular military in, in, a, in a war situation or not no it's an absolutely terrible thing chris and here's the reason why uh, i have many journal independent journalist friends who can't get their stories out um because what happens now is back in the day, uh, just very quickly go into this, back in the day you had war photographers like Kappa uh, and uh, the great Don McCullin, and they would uh, report on the Vietnam War, and the basically the powers that be and the press would say, this is happening, and suddenly Don McCullin's newspaper, you know, photos in the newspaper would hit the American breakfast tables, and this is what kicked off the great American. In fact, he was probably one of the very best at actually bringing the war to an end um, because yeah. his photographs are absolutely legendary. And they were at direct odds with what they were being told by the media um, and what they were being told by the government. And when you embed someone in there now, 
what generally tends to happen is they go somewhere after it's it's calmed down and it's fairly safe and you're being guided as to what you need to see um and and you cannot get right on the front line most of the time um how can i put this many many independent journalists i know uh get shot at i mean you've only got to look at the ukraine war if you dare to say anything against the narrative and that is uh, not uh, russia phobic if you like um you straight away they have a a, a website the ukrainians called mirror uh, which is a ukrainian kill list um which they killed many journalists already i think they killed 16 before 2022 and they killed quite a few afterwards in fact they went after one uh, what you might call journalist uh, Tartaski, uh, blew him up in a cafe in St. Petersburg. And yep. they went after another one called Dugan, and they missed him and blew up the car with his daughter in. Um, so there's an inherent danger about uh, being a journalist. Journalists and aid workers should always be completely and utterly impartial and just report what you see. Um, and to be honest, Chris, uh, just to finish up, I think, in the old days, the media used to hold the government to account and the government hold the media to account. And that sort of, it, it was a fairer system than now. Now you have the government's and mainstream media walking in lockstep. Uh, and I think that's why we've become so popular as journalists, because we actually tell the truth and people are thirsting for that. No, indeed. I mean, I think your point about the Vietnam War is 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 well made because uh, you know in the early days of the of the first several years, as I understand it, of the war in Vietnam, there was a lot of support actually in the United States from the general public, and uh, you know the early protesters really were sort of almost taking their lives in their hands, sometimes literally taking their lives in their hands by speaking out. But because of these. Uh, you know, brave, groundbreaking uh, journalists doing what journalists, you know, ought to be doing. Um, you know, that helped to sort of change public opinion, didn't it? When people could see the reality of what was uh, was happening. W w would you agree? Yeah, I would do very much so. And, and you were saying about people taking lives in their hands. I mean, one was Jane Fonda, who was called Hanoi Jane, just for yeah. uh, speaking out against the, the American war machine um, that was... Uh, obviously causing such havoc. And then, of course, didn't we? We had that amazing photograph, that horrible photograph of that young naked girl running oh, yeah. road, having been burnt yeah. in napalm. napalm. And suddenly yeah. Yeah. something went off in the public consciousness, you know, that yes. we are not being told what is right here. And, and no, the indeed. youth of that day were much more politically engaged and, and all came out and started really causing problems on campuses. Um, yeah. It needs that today because we, we have so many distractions and young people should be into what is going on in the world and they should care about it deeply, but they should be able to get the complete picture uh, and not just yeah. the sanitised version. No, indeed. Um, I mean, and again, just talking about, uh, you know, some of the risks that uh, the journalists take and, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the risks, particularly in relation to NATO's proxy war in in Ukraine that journalists take if, if, if they, you know, as it were, stray from the narrative. There was a British journalist, and his name escapes me at the moment. You may know him, uh, uh, Warren, or you may know his name. But, um, but he's been uh, 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 effectively sanctioned by the British government. He's had um, his, uh, his uh, property, apparently, has been, has been uh, confiscated. I mean, he's over in, um, he's over in uh, uh, the Donbass. Graham Phillips. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's shocking, isn't it? I mean, just say a little bit about that, Warren, because I suspect a lot of people aren't aware of it. Just just tell the, the, the viewers about what, what's happened to him. Yeah, I mean, we have we have Graham Phillips, who had all his bank accounts shut down, uh, and he, he's literally been made an enemy of the state for simply uh, turning around and saying what happened in Donbass. Now, himself and Patrick Lancaster uh, were very yes. groundbreaking, uh, very groundbreaking indeed, but there was an even, even earlier one who really suffered in France, uh, a woman called Anne-Law Bonnell. And she was one of the very, in fact, she did a documentary called The Donbass, um, which showed all these horrific war crimes that these uh, Azov Battalion neo-Nazi lunatics were, were committing to on civilians. And for nine years, she tried to get French TV to take up, um, you know, their, <laughs> this, this wonderful uh, body of work that she did. And she was ostracized by many, many people as indeed mm -hmm. Graham Phillips is now. Um, and even even when you go on to, Graham Phillips has a channel on Telegram, and we, even when you go on that channel, you see so many people on there 
just giving him abuse and all he's doing is just saying what's going on and if but if it doesn't fit the narrative i mean obviously in this this day of bots and ai and stuff like that um you know these you have a, a group of people out there chris called nafo um yes they, well i'm familiar with them yeah, <laughs> i've been targeted by them i've been targeted by them yes exactly that and what they do is they even while the uh conference was going on when victoria newland went over there um to have uh, a conference they even had their own conference going on where they all stood up and you know there were people going on with pet crocodiles and these guys just had sort of no life whatsoever but they were they were bragging how they had like hundreds of accounts and from those hundreds of accounts they would have another you know 50 60 accounts off of those uh, and they would just flood the internet and even today on twitter uh, they they get things trending uh, you see all the time uh, russia is losing russia is a terrorist and all the rest of it yeah the same's yeah. happening with palestine uh, of course i mean and uh, you know talking about twitter and trending um was saying just before we went on air that apparently i'm trending on twitter today uh, because of a, an interview I gave to Julia Hartley Brewer about the situation in, in in Gaza. So certainly, that's the downside, I suppose, of social media. But the, the, one of the things I was going to say, though, is that, that social. I'm thinking in particular now in relation to uh, Palestine yeah. and Gaza, because obviously, you know, history didn't start on October the 7th. And I think people... No. I've been increasingly aware of the horrors of the, uh, the Zionist entities' uh, brutality towards the Palestinian people, yeah. thanks to social media, thanks to citizen journalists on the ground actually, you know, being able to bring the reality of the uh, occupation to people's attention in terms of what's happening in the or what, what what's been happening now in the West Bank. I mean, uh, uh, the last I heard, I think it was 150 over 150 people had been killed in the in the West Bank. Um, but also, you know, things like, you know, the house demolitions, the acquisitions, you know, people being thrown out, Palestinian people who, you know, as we know, live for kind of, you know, dozens and dozens of generations are being, being yeah. thrown out of their, of their home, thrown out of their land. Their, their uh, ability to farm is being impinged where the, you know, the settlers, the illegal settlers are coming and cutting their olive trees down, um, you know, pouring concrete into, into wells. It's quite unbelievable. Um, so there's that type of brutality as well as the, you know, the, the real very heavy duty violence that the Palestinian people are being subjected to. And uh, so a lot more people are aware of that. However, you know, when I went on this uh, uh, interview with uh, Julia Hartley Brewer today, I mean, she was very much peddling the kind of uh, the Zionist line, you know, the propaganda, it's, you know, Hamas uh, or, or evil savage terrorists, you know, uh, this, this is all about, you know, Israel kind of defending itself and so on and, and so forth. So, I mean, I think there is an upside, isn't there, to uh, the social media. So what's your thoughts about the way in which, you know, citizen journalists in, in Palestine and indeed, you know, elsewhere? I mean, what role do you think they they can play in, in actually, you know, telling the truth to, to a wider general public? Well, I think, I think they have a, a massive role to play in the fact that these uh, people who are uh, not journalists, and I would like really like to say that I think uh, there's no such thing uh, mainstream journalists now are actually, they don't give you proper news, they give you propaganda. And that's that's a real, real problem. In the, the citizen journalist will just photograph what's going on and he'll put it out there. Um, and I would say they're more of a journalist than the journalists are nowadays. Uh, for the simple fact, mainstream uh, media just goes along with whatever the guy at the very top is saying. Then the editor tells them that's exactly the line they're taking. Uh, take, for instance, you today. Uh, Julia Hartley Brewer. I haven't even seen it, and I know that Julia Hartley Brewer um, will be pushing a narrative that will be totally against yours. And her job as a broadcaster, as an interviewer, is to listen to what you've got to say, not to keep shouting it down, but to actually ask you questions about why you think that, and then leave it open for people to decide for themselves. It, it's always a thing, Chris, if you don't get both sides of the argument, um, there, there, there isn't a debate. And when you can't debate anything, um, what you've got is an autocracy, really. And the, the thing that really gets me is 
the amount of people who've never been on the front line in their lives. Uh, I remember uh, speaking out quite harshly uh, when I was in Panama looking after aid workers there and the amount of lunatics that were roaming around, um, you know, beating people up with clubs and stuff like that um, was quite, quite sickening. In America, we're actually backing this. You know, it, it was really, really bad. Uh, and there, there are many other places where, where I've been where it's been appalling, you know, El Salvador and all, all you know, various places like that. Um, and it's a real problem even keeping aid workers safe because these guys have suddenly got power. They're not the most stable people in the world. Uh, you've only got to look at Ukraine. And if you look at Israel, for instance, um, I put out three or four videos um, stating something is completely true, which is the Hannibal Directive. And we even yeah. had the woman, we had the woman in the kibbutz who was actually there and witnessed tanks being rolled forward, Hamas, uh, Hamas terrorists and Israeli, uh, should we say, hostages, all in the same building, didn't even try to negotiate, just flattened the buildings and killed the Israelis in there. And that's happened on many, many occasions. Now, I don't care, Chris, what flag you stand under, whether you stand under uh, a Hamas flag, whether you're on the Israeli side, if you kill a child um, and you do and you target children and civilians on, on purpose, you're a war criminal. I don't care how much right you may think you have. You have no right to slaughter civilians whatsoever. No, indeed. I mean, the Hannibal Directive, I mean, we've covered this in uh, on Palestine Declassified, the, the programme that I host. And this is the directive which basically stipulates that the uh, Israeli military will are, are effectively instructed really to ensure that you know hostages prisoners are not taken even if that means killing their own people and you know most of the people many certainly anyway of the people that were killed on October 7 when the uh, there was the resistance fighters incursion into uh, Palestine were actually killed by the uh, by the Israeli's own forces they knew as you say they knew that their own people were in those buildings. And furthermore, yeah. when some of the people were being driven away, there were airstrikes uh, yeah. on them, you know. Uh, and and then this, of course, was then portrayed as if this had all been done by yeah. uh, by Hamas, you know, which was obviously not, not the case. But just in terms of, um, you know, the situation in Gaza at the moment and, and just looking at the risks being taken by journalists, I mean, I think I saw something on Al Jazeera today. And I must pay tribute to Al Jazeera because I think their coverage... I don't know if you've been watching any of it, uh, yes. Warren, but I think yeah. their coverage has been outstanding of what, I mean, it's totally different I mean, to what you, I can, I can barely watch the BBC. I do try and turn it on and listen to Radio 4 at times, but, oh my God, it's just, it's just yeah. kind of wall-to-wall -wall propaganda. But, you know, Al Jazeera, you know, really does give a, a very, you know, honest uh, and on-the-ground, uh, you know, reportage saying how it is. And those reporters that, that are doing that, I mean, I think all of them actually are, are from Gaza as well, but 39, as I understand it, have been killed. This is unprecedented, apparently, in, in, in uh, war situations. I can't They're remember, you might know this, you might know this, uh, Warren, in terms of the number of journalists that were killed during the uh, Vietnam War, which went on for, what, the best part of 20 years, didn't it? Uh, yeah. I think it's about 60-odd or so, but, but 39 yes. in three weeks. Is, yeah. is quite unprecedented, isn't it? Uh, well, it's unprecedented because they're targeting the reporters because they don't want the news getting out there. So what they do is they wait for the live report to come out. They find exactly where that person is and then they target them and they bomb that area. Uh, and that has happened, uh, especially in the hospitals uh, where there's been uh, journalists there and journalists who, uh, there was a young lady journalist uh, trying to think of her name, um, she literally gave a report live on air and within, I think it was something like 25 minutes, she was hit uh, in a strike. Uh, that is not a coincidence. You know, they are, they are targeting anybody that's trying to get the truth out there, uh, as they do also on, on media. I mean, you only have to look at the amount of uh, people who are putting out what's going on and being shut down. You know, mm. and if they can't shut them down like yourself, then they invite them on T TV programs and try to eviscerate them. Uh, but the trouble yeah. is, they end up they don't discuss; they shout at people yeah. because no, they, they don't get the point. 
No, indeed. And you're right as well that the point you was making earlier, Warren, about the you know the abuse that the the uh, the NAFO trolls and and, and others. Um, I mean, I'm I've, I've been referred to as uh, the Ayatollah's bitch, <laughs> uh, the um, a rape apologist because I said that uh, Russell Brand deserved due process and that yes. he'd been the subject of a hit job, a four-year hit job by Murdoch, and yep. it, it's rather coincidental not that. You know, he. I mean, I was never a particular fan of his comedy. I've got to say, but of late, no. with his uh, with his podcast that he's been putting out, you know, he's been he's been really holding the uh, military industrial complex to account, big pharma to account. Uh, you know, the corporate capitalism. He's you know he, he's been shining a light on on these abuses, and he has a big big following. And yeah. uh, you know, and then there's suddenly these um, these accusations after a four year trawling for trying to find people uh to make accusations against the came before people but i was saying look well one it's a uh, you know it's, it's murdoch it yep. looks like a hit job to me and surely you know he's entitled to due process isn't he but uh you know that was seen as um you know, beyond the pale and i was then you know persona non non grata and uh what was disappointing about that was that even even i mean there were a lot of trolls but there were even some people who i think ought to know better you know yep. on the left who, who were joining in that i mean did, I mean, I find that very frustrating. And about you, Warren. I mean, what, what's your thoughts about sometimes people you you would think would would have a better kind of political understanding and a notion of you know what's right, what's fair, and due process, etc. And then suddenly they jump in on the bandwagon. Well, you can't have trial by media. Uh, I mean, obviously, if there are pictures, uh, when you looked at someone like Mason Greenwood, for instance, um, the video evidence was out there for everybody to see, and we knew that that was the gentleman who was actually speaking. Um, so. You, you know, in that case there, there's not a lot to. But what you do when you have trial by media, you make it almost impossible for them to have a fair hearing in a court of law. Now, Russell Brand, you know, the, the left are going crazy and this, that and, the, and this, that and the other. But for years and years and years, if that behaviour was prevalent, they were perfectly OK with it until he started speaking out against the military industrial complex. And if you ever notice, the same with Julian Assange, um, if they can't get you as an anti-Semite, um, they'll try and get you on some sort of sex predator charge, yeah. uh, like Assange with with Sweden, and then suddenly Russell Brand. Um, it, it's the it's the Murdoch playbook out again. It, it starts with uh, it starts first of all to say you're a dangerous conspiracy theorist. Uh, then it goes on to uh, you're an anti-Semite is the is the one they try and get you, or a racist, or whichever one they can do. And then finally, if they can't do that, then they try and drag up some sort of uh, you know person who shall we say, in the dim, distant past, um, may have had a bit of a fling with you and is pretty upset and decides that uh, they, they, they want to be famous. I'm always worried um, when, in say, for the case of Russell Brand, you have a woman who's turning around and saying, he did this to me, uh, to Channel 4, and find out that she's now working for Channel 4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These sorts of accusations are very difficult to get from underneath as well, even when you sort of prove yourself... Uh... Through, even through a court of law, you know, as innocent as it were. I mean, I never went to a court of law, obviously, but I'm still often referenced as some sort of, uh, you know, raving anti-Semite, some sort of bigot, racist, etc. When, you know, I'd spent my life fighting racism and, you know, literally fighting racists on the street in the 1970s as a, one of the very first members of the, of the um, anti-Nazi league, you know. Yeah. Um, and yet, you, you know, you... you um, and it's like today when I was on uh, with, again, just come back to Julia Hartley Brewer, saying, she said, you know, why don't you just come on, Chris, and just say, I hate all Jews. You know, yeah. it's quite shocking, uh, you know, that uh, that people are able yeah. to to get away with that. But, but you mentioned um, Julian uh, Assange there, uh, Warren. And I mean, one of the things I've been really shocked by, I shouldn't be really, but uh, I am still, that the, the, the uh, journalists, you know, the corporate media hacks have, not only have they not come to Julian's defence, they've actually, you know, taken the opportunity to kick a man when he's down, to ridicule him and all the rest of it. What's your thoughts about about those journalists who, who have done that? And, um, I mean, just say a word or two, if you could, about Julian's situation as well. Yeah, I mean, currently residing in Belmarsh, and as you know, yeah. I, had little, I had a little taste of being uh, grabbed hold of at one point for exposing the Canadian 
uh, sorry, the Nazi in the Canadian Parliament and exposed. Yes. Him. Oh, it's going to come on to that actually, but yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, let's come back to that in a minute actually. Yeah. yeah and I had had a bit of fun there, so I, I, I thoroughly understand uh, where Julian's coming from. Uh, and Julian Assange was one of those. It, it's not like he told lies, Chris. He came no. out and he t and he put into the public domain things that they wanted to keep very very quiet uh, that they were up to. And when you come to people like uh, it was silly people like Julia Hartley Brewer turning around to you and said, "Why don't you say you hate all Jews?" You know, you could just turn around and go, "Julia, why don't you? Why don't you just say you hate all Palestinians or all Muslims?" Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a really uh, facetious argument. Um, what they want to do, Chris, is put you in boxes. So first of all, um, you know what they'll do is they'll go black or white, and then they'll go old or young, and then they'll go on your uh, sexual orientation. And what they do then is they put you into a box. So uh, you. You, you're supporting Palestine, so you must be an anti-Semite. So we'll put him in that box. Because if the media come after you as a singular person, they look like terrible, terrible bullies. Whereas if they can put you in that group, in that box, it's much easier for them to go and attack. And that's what they do all the time. You will hear, you won't, you won't hear um, former MP or, or MP Chris Williamson, you'll hear far left or uh, yeah. anti-Semite or... And it's the same with, uh, you know, Warren Thornton. Sometimes I get, oh, uh, Russian apologist or, or Putin lover. Uh, there was Putin apologist, yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly that. And, and you're just like, you know, they will always stick that epithet in front of you. And it's, and it's absolute nonsense because they have to put you in that box. Otherwise, they're not able to, to have a go at you because they need you in that box because having a go at an individual. And this is also the terrible thing. When you put a group ahead of the individual, that's always a bad, bad sign, and we're well on the way. Mm. And Julian Assange is just one of the horrible things. We still have a guy in Ukraine, Gonzalo Lira, who was arrested. Yes, Gonzalo. Yes, um, yeah. who who has you know no doubt been tortured quite quite grievously. Um, and and you see the state of Julian Assange now. I believe Tucker Carlson went to see him a couple of days ago or about a week ago. Um, but this is, we shouldn't be locking these journalists up because they are doing what they're supposed to do. These, Julian Assange and people like that are the John Pilgers of today. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's quite shameful what, what, what's being done to Julian Assange. Not a single piece of information that he's ever put into the public domain has had to be corrected. Everything's been 100% uh, correct. And um, what's sickening is, is that, you know, newspaper outlets like The Guardian and so on used Julian uh, uh, to sell copy, no doubt, to sell uh, papers, yep. and and then they and then they turned on him. I mean, it's, uh, it's yeah. It's I quite... mean, I'm not being funny, Chris, but when when you uh, sell your soul as a journalist like that, the, a journalist should should pursue the stories that scare him to death, uh, because yeah. that's your job is to bring the news, and no matter how shocking it may be, is to get the truth out there. And really, the people who call themselves uh, mainstream media journalists now should be ashamed. You know, you just mentioned John Pilger, and he's one of my heroes, actually. I remember as a lad, you know, watching him on the, uh, I think it was on ITV, actually, and there were, there were a number of, uh, you know, really good uh, reporters around then. I mean, obviously, the Vietnam War was, was going on and so on. Yeah. But... Um, well, one, the you know, the, the, they those sorts of people don't seem to get a platform anymore. But I just wondered, what have you got a theory or, or, or what's your thoughts on where and why, sorry, when and why did it all go so badly wrong? Because, you know, the mainstream media, I guess, is always, or maybe it's me through roasting to spectacles, I don't know, but you know, I guess the mainstream media has always had an agenda, I'm pretty sure. I mean, now we've got alternative sources of information so we can sort of, fact check a lot of the nonsense that we're being told but my sense is as, as a lad growing up you know and into the 70s uh that uh, you know the reportage on the mainstream media you know was was much more balanced and you as you say you know had great heroes like you know john pilger uh on the mainstream actually in pretty much peak time as well speaking and uh, so just what's your thoughts i mean do you have a theory about when and why it went so wrong Yes, absolutely. Uh, there is a wonderful, wonderful film uh, made in 1976 called Network with Peter Finch. Um, oh, yes. On this wonderful film, he does a monologue to camera uh, where he says uh, less than 3% of people read books. And he said, you, you don't know anything that doesn't come out of this tube. That, you know. And then he goes on to the fact that when 
the large, some of the largest corporations in the world own the greatest propaganda machine ever made. God help us, because he turned around and said, we will tell you anything you want to hear. And nine times out of ten, they'll, he said, you'll think like the tube, you'll act like the tube, you'll name your children after what the tube tell you. And, and the trouble is here, when you have the people at the very top, the, the conglomerates and the people who are the head of those conglomerates, they own, should we say, I think it's 92% of the media, the top eight uh, media moguls own, uh, and they can construct the narrative, which is exactly what they do. They tell the editors, the editors then tell journalists, the editor will lose his job if he doesn't do what, he's, what he says, as will the journalist if he doesn't do what the, what the editor said. So they all march in time together um, many, many years ago. That's why Don McCullen uh, quit war photography around about the, the mid-80s because he said the landscape was changing completely. And he said, I, I was sending copy into the Daily Telegraph and Daily Mail and they were saying, no, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's shocking, really. And uh, I wonder whether you might say a word or two as well about um, D-notices, uh, Warren, uh, because uh, we understand that D-notice has been issued to media outlets to suppress uh, information about the SES role. Um, I mean, there's speculation that they are engaged in, in Gaza, um, assisting, we'll, we've also know, I think, that the British... Uh, Intelligence services are passing on uh, intercepted uh, messaging that uh, the uh, Palestinian resistance is, is doing between it, passing that on to the Israeli occupation forces. But uh, let's talk about the SAS, uh, you know, the Special Air Services involvement on the ground um, and this D notice that's been issued um, to suppress the media from saying anything about what the SAS is up to. We, we, we can't. I don't think yes. definitely confirmed that they're on the ground in Gaza, but just say well, a bit about oh, go on then. Yeah, say say a bit about D notice and what you know about that as well. Then, if you could, then uh, so a D notice uh, is issued. Uh, the D notice is issued. Uh, one was issued when with two. Uh, one story I broke uh, when a command and control centre, NATO command and control centre, got hit just outside of Lvov, and in fact there was one the other day uh, which was a training centre, a NATO training centre, and they couldn't keep the lid on that one. But a D-notice was issued uh, way back in March when uh, when uh, Russia, as retaliation for some really uh, appalling strikes on civilians, um, hit a NATO command and troll centre uh, outside of Lvov. And very quickly they got the barriers round and everything else. Uh, very much like Lahaina, um, you know, where they got the barriers round and kept everybody away and, and nobody was allowed to go in and see what was going on. Uh, the D-notice is just issued... And it is then against the national interest or may harm anyone uh, that reports on this. It may cause harm uh, to the interests of the soldiers or the people that are there. Uh, and it's not deemed in the national interest and is therefore, as a journalist, you're not allowed to talk about people who are going around blowing up things in tunnels in, in Gaza and sort of things like that. Um, I can absolutely 100% confirm uh, that not only are um, the SAS in Gaza, but there's other there's other British military units there too. But we can't talk about what they're doing. We can talk about um, that they're there. Um, but this is this is the sort of thing. Uh, one thing they can't uh, turn around and ban you from knowing, Chris, is uh, before the um, Ukraine war, uh, we had the uh, the is a thing called the Depoy de Lume, which is a French naval spy intelligence ship uh, and that was ho hovering around ukraine uh, as early as 2019 and just uh, has returned from the eastern med would you believe after after going after going walkabout uh, it was said that it was in uh, dock for two years to be repaired and it actually wasn't it was in the sea of japan and uh, i because i have a, a source in french military intelligence and i can tell you that that ship uh, was parked in the Eastern Med for four months, gathering intelligence before this kicked off. Right. Interesting, interesting. Well, listen, just before we bring um, uh, Sean in, just to see what uh, reaction uh, uh, we've had to our uh, conversation, I wonder whether you can maybe just finish off with the with the with um, something you, just, uh, you, you alluded to earlier in our uh, conversation. 
about the um, about the, uh, the the Nazi or the ex Nazi uh, being venerated in uh, in Canada. So say a bit about that, mate, and how you exposed all that, because that's really interesting. Yes, well, um, basically, what I I should I was doing what any mainstream journalist should be doing. Uh, I saw this guy stand up and get st standing ovation. Uh, he's Ukrainian. He fought against Russia in the war. He's ninety eight years of age. Well, hang on a moment. The Ukrainians who fought against Russia in the war, most of them were in the 14th Brigade of the Waffen SS. So I went and dug into his past and found out that he'd actually got his own uh, little channel uh, where he got lots of pictures of himself in Nazi SS uniform and stuff like that. Then I went and found out exactly what his brigade did. And then I found out that he'd actually got a scholarship at Alberta University in his name. So I dug a bit further and found that when he sat on the front row, he sat with his son called Martin Hunker, who was in who was the chief financial officer for Redpath Mining, which is one of the biggest companies, uh, mining companies in Canada. And the two Secret Service guys were sitting next to him. So there was no doubt whatsoever that Freeland, Trudeau and indeed uh, Gould, who were the three people who had to know what was going on there, uh, we're all aware because you, there's no way that you would let, let two guys sit on the front bench next to two top military experts. Uh, and one of them was the deputy commissioner of the uh, Canadian Royal Mounted Police. And next to him were two Secret Service guys. And you're telling me they didn't know exactly who was sitting right next to them. Um, you can always tell the Secret Service guys in the Canadian Parliament so they don't wear ties when they go in there. Um, Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. They probably will now. Um yeah. The thing was, I then exposed that Yaroslav Hunker's son, Martin Hunker, had made massive campaign donations to Rota, who was the Speaker of the House. Now, Rota's from his district. Now, the first thing you do, as you know, Chris, as, a, as an MP, you always have a little look at who's donating to your uh, potential cause for the simple fact you don't want it to come back and bite you in the backside. No, of course. At no, a later day. And then yeah. I was able to show that he had taken these campaign funds from Rotor, and he, uh, that Rotor had taken these campaign funds uh, from uh, this mining company. And indeed, um, the local high school uh, was because a lot of Ukrainian and Italian, uh, shall we say, Mussoliniites and uh, very Banderaites went and settled in that part of North Bay. Um, yeah. And the, and the high school was actually done on two occasions. For before football, before soccer matches or, or football matches, uh, they were throwing up Nazi salutes. So it wasn't like this was, um, no, you know, but the mainstream media should have been all over us. I was able to dig all this up inside four hours and put it out there. And then, of course, on the Sunday, tap, tap, tap on the door while I was on a live to a, a, a guy from Donbass who was showing yeah. who was showing me shelling of uh, the civilians by Ukraine. And suddenly they came along and picked me up and uh, they, they wanted to hold me. Yeah, outrageous. Say a bit about that then as well, Warren, because that's uh, quite uh, incredible, really. Yeah, I, I was talking, as I say, I was talking to a guy from the Donbass. I was on a live on Telegram. Uh, I just popped, popped down. Two people were talking, uh, Fiona Ryan and uh, this uh, Cafe Revolution. Uh, I just popped down to make a coffee, went to pop something out in the bin. Next thing, uh, two gentlemen approached me and said, we'd like to have a word with you. Uh, I was able to text the, text the word over to Fiona uh, just to say, mm. uh, and they asked me to go with them. And I said, well, no, I'm in the middle of a live. So then I was arrested uh, and then I was taken to a police station um, where I, I, I sort of spent most of the time singing freedom songs while, <laughs> while I was in the cells yeah. overnight. And the next morning I was pulled in for questioning, but they sort of jumped the gun a little bit. Because uh, I quoted Article 38 of the, obviously, uh, the UN Charter at them uh, in the fact that we'd used acts of aggression and under journalistic license, it was my duty as a journalist to expose to the public uh, when they were being misled by a organisation or by a public person, uh, which they clearly were, um, you know, <laughs> by the fact that they hid the fact that this guy was a Nazi and they knew. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So they, they held me and then uh, they were going to give me a caution. And uh, my solicitor just turned around and said, well, you're either charging him or you're letting him go because he's not accepting yeah. caution. Uh, they went outside. They had a little chat for about two minutes and then they let me go. But he really did look as though he was a, a bit amateurish because the, the cyber crimes unit or the cyber unit uh, sort of works independently from all the actual, uh, shall we say, county constabularies. 
uh, it's it's more or less a, a mishmash of of lots of different people and half the time the police don't know what they're up to so it, it's almost like a very sort of sinister uh, thing where they very they much so yeah what what we what were the um what the, on what grounds were they arresting you? What what were they claiming? That what law you you allegedly broken then? Well, malinformation. Now, there's there's three different types of information. Uh, not under the new law. There's there's obviously the new law that's coming in. Um, but you've got disinformation, which is when you know it to be false, and you broadcast it. You've got uh, misinformation, which is when you don't know it's false, and you broadcast it. But malinformation is when you have the correct information. But they do not want it going from the private sphere into the public sphere. Uh, that mm -hmm. therefore it could be malicious and could be harmful and could endanger anyone. Well, the only person it could have endangered uh, was Trudeau and obviously his cronies. Uh, <laughs> you know, in the parliament, in the parliament, that was the only person it could ever endanger. So they didn't really have a leg to stand on. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it, it's really sinister, though, that mm. you were treated like that. I mean, I guess a lot of people watching. To the, today will be absolutely shocked by. I mean, we know things are bad, but you know that that you were that you were treated that way. I mean, it's it just quite astonishing how far we've fallen. Yeah, and you know we really do need to be more vigilant. I think uh, people because you know uh, it Warren, you know, uh, a few days ago or whenever it was, you know, and it could be you next because this is um, yeah, this is a very slippery slope that, that we're on. But let's uh, let's bring in uh, Sean for the last uh, few few minutes because uh, we're going we're going for over forty minutes actually. Warren. We could go on a lot longer actually. It would be really interesting. But let's bring uh, Sean in and just sort of get some uh, reaction from from people. Hello, hi. I've been ensconced in the chat room, um, so it's really difficult for me to hear what's going on in uh, in your conversations and concentrate on what's going on in the chat. <laughs> so please excuse me if you've actually answered any of these questions. I just want to say uh, a quick hello to some of our regulars here, Katie, and uh, on any sundry mule, Jurgen, Kira. Atcha John, uh, good to see you all in the chat today. Um, all having a a good conversation about uh, freedom of speech and uh, about independent journalism. Um, we've got a, a few questions for you. Yep. Uh, Katie asks, uh, what independent journalists should I look out for and follow? Uh, independent journalists that you should look out for and follow. If you want to know what's going on in terms of civilians being uh, targeted by Ukraine, uh, there is a, a guy called Cafe Revolution who is who does uh, a YouTube channel and he highlights all the atrocities that are going on in the Donbass. Uh, there is Patrick Lancaster, who's very good. Uh, there's Gareth Ike. Uh, you can always come to the Frontline Army and, and come and see us all at the Frontline. Uh, there is Gareth Ike, who is very good. Um, and there is also uh, Richard Willett. Uh, he's very, very good. And a, and a chap called Tony Gosling uh, pretty much gets quite good stuff. Uh, but journalists on the ground, uh, the likes of Patrick Lancaster, are very, very good. If you've not seen any of Anne Law Bonnell's stuff, uh, she is a French journalist. Uh, I would suggest you go and check her stuff out. And you will have a completely different perspective on, on what happens. Mm. Okay, thank you for that, Warren. Um, on any sundry mule asks, uh, it says, Graham Phillips's coverage is great. Right from early on, he reviews the Georgian Wars as well. Uh, I'm yes. not familiar with Graham Phillips's work. Um, Atcha John says, I'm finding people in Israel, especially like Mark Regev, is blatantly lying in the face of objective evidence. What's the reason for this? Uh, this is almost ubiquitous uh, to their, and he didn't finish his sentence. Um, but uh, just, just to fill you in, John, um, Mark Regev was the ambassador in the UK um, back when all the anti-Semitism smears were invented against Jeremy Corbyn. And he was photographed having a meeting with uh, the Jewish Labour movement and board of deputies. And I believe that was when the plan was hatched to have this anti-Semitism smear campaign yes. on Corbyn. There's, there's, you know, there's lots of circumstantial evidence for that. Um, I can't completely say 100% uh, that that is true, but the circumstantial evidence does show that that's where that, that, that's where that's happened. And Mark Regev was the architect of that campaign. Warren, what do you have to say about that? 
Yeah, wherever there's a Zionist cause, you'll find that gentleman. And I do separate um, uh, Jewish people from Zionists because there are many, many Jewish people out there who've lived in uh, the Arab countries and even now still have enclaves uh, where there's no trouble whatsoever. And uh, you're also looking at the Jewish people who are protesting and being very badly subdued in Israel uh, for that. And I, I get quite good updates and and very, very uh, glad that some people can manage to smuggle out videos, you know, and, and they, it really is quite terrible. And I think it's one of those things where you look at, uh, you know, and you, you've had Jewish protests on the streets against the Zionist sort of enclaves that they have there. And I think it's very, very important that people separate Israel and Zionism away from proper, normal, orthodox Jew. It really is, because this didn't start until round about 1925, uh, when they, they, they got their first army in there. Now, Lord Palmerston did it in 1840. He, he wanted greater control over Egypt and the Suez Canal. And then round about uh, sort of 19... Uh, the first Zionist uh, was turned by a guy called Wiseman. And that was, uh, you know, back in 1882, when you had Rishon Zion. Uh, and, you, of course, you had Rothschilds paying for people to go and settle there. And they chased off... Uh, there was only 3,000... Uh, the Jewish uh, Palestinians, or sorry, Jewish people there, and they chased 70,000 off the land, and they bought huge swathes of land around Jaffa. Uh, and then, of course, you had the 1925, uh, sorry, the 1885, uh, where the term Zionism came from an Austri Austrian writer. Then you had 1907, when the Liberal Party put out that secret document uh, about the, uh, you know, a place that they ought to be able to call their own. And then 1927, you had the meeting in Basel in Switzerland, uh, where they very much pushed for their own state of Israel. And then, of course, um, we had the Balfour Declaration uh, that came. Uh, that was in, uh, you know, and then you had uh, Lawrence of Arabia, of course, uh, where they sat, sat down with, with Wiseman, who was a, a massive Zionist at the time, and they sat down with uh, Prince Hussein. And it was that uh, the Arab nations would be allowed to self-govern as long as they had a state of Israel. Uh, so I think it's very important to sort of take the orthodox uh, Jewish people away from the modern sort of Zionist state of it. I call it a state of Israel rather than a Jewish homeland. And you, you hear this argument all the time, don't you, about, oh, it was God's chosen people many, many years ago and this, this, that and the other. But that's a bit like clearing Australia because you want to hand it back to the Aborigines. It's a really nonsense argument. Um, People that lived there before 1920 got along absolutely fine. And, you know, Julia Hartley Brewery gave Chris such a hard time. Uh, really ought to look into the horrific things that we did as a British nation uh, back then in the 1920s to the people that lived in Palestine. And we, we genuinely, all our decisions that we made then, we caused what is happening today, really. Yeah, I know, indeed. Britain's, Britain's hands are... Uh deep in blood, uh, yes. not just there, but really all the way around the world. But uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think Chris, I, ju I just yeah. want to I just want to pay tribute to um, the journalists that have been on the ground in Gaza reporting. Absolutely. And they have literally been putting their lives on the line. And yep. to up till three hours ago, we know that there's been 39 journalists killed uh, or murdered. Um, and I yes. believe strongly that they are taking them out on purpose because they don't want the Western world uh, to see what's no, actually going on. And I think they are the real heroes in this yeah. whole thing, because yeah. if it's not if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't know what was going on. Um, you know, very much like back in the Second World War, people didn't know what was going on um, in pogroms. Um, they, you know, they, they had to go to the local cinema to, to find out news and things like that. Um, this is this is the modern day. And thankfully, they've got the, the technology to be able to get that news out to us, get those images out to us and I, I think this is why you know the, the world is so shocked and um i just want us to to remember those heroes um yes. never forget them 
while we're on that subject Sean, while we're on that subject can i just also mention because i lost a very good friend in ukraine a french french gentleman where when they cluster bombed in 2015 when they cluster bombed a supermarket the ukrainian authorities the azov battalion and the aid workers who die and how many un aid workers have been killed there in palestine yes and, and have been slaughtered by this indiscriminate carpet bombing of uh, you know and they even hit the school the un school i mean it, it's just beyond any common sense to defend that sort of action it's a war crime that's it absolutely yeah. absolutely so, so everybody if you could like share and subscribe that would really help us and in the meantime you can follow chris on uh, on x or formerly twitter at darby is it darby chris w that's it, Darby Chris W. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you can follow you can follow us on at Resistance TV Pod. And what, Warren? What, I, well done. Just remind everybody what your uh, Twitter handle is as well, if you could. Uh, my Twitter handle is Thornton WA, uh, capital T, capital W, four seven three seven three. Thanks very much indeed for that. that. I've um, that in the chat, so. Yeah, that's great. And we just need to make sure that we get that out as widely as possible because we want to grow your audience as well, Warren, uh, because you're doing some really crucially important work. Thank you so much, Warren, for taking the time to come and speak to us this evening. Uh, it's been a really interesting discussion. I'm sure the people that's watched it tonight uh, have really found it fascinating. And uh, obviously what we'll be doing is we'll be sharing this uh, after tonight. So it's not just a live audience. We get a lot of people watch it uh, afterwards as it were and we also put this out as a podcast on, on a friday as yeah. well uh without the pictures um so we'll just hear your voice uh so that's great well thank you anyway again warren and thank you everybody for watching this evening hopefully we'll be back next week all being well at the same time so until then seven o'clock next wednesday this is Chris Williams the same bye for now thank you very much guys.